If you would, uh, if you would open in your journals to First Thessalonians, I thought we would just keep going uh, on our trek through that particular letter. Uh, Elspeth's going to come read. If you didn't hear Jordan's message last week, he did an outstanding job, um, not just overviewing the first chapter, but actually getting into the specifics of the first chapter. So if you've not heard that yet, you need to go back and listen to it. This morning, we're going to actually just camp out on our scripture memory. So we're going to camp out on verses uh, 9 and 10 at the end, the last two verses. But I thought it's always just good to sit under the reading of God's word, whether you read it to yourself or someone reads it to you. So Elspeth's going to come and just read the whole first chapter to us so that you'll get verses 1 and 2, I'm sorry, the last two verses in context. So she's going to read the whole chapter, and then I'm going to jump into um, just the last two verses. And the goal is to be... uh, very brief this morning because I know we have lots of little kids and then to really focus on application this week. So that's what we're going to kind of do, but you're going to read all of chapter one. Okay. Thessalonians. Oh, sorry. Turn it off. Oh, this. There we go. Okay. First Thessalonians chapter one. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and in and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so like I said, we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. I want to just recap the last part of verse 9, so if you just want to look at that with me, the second half of verse 9 says this. This whole chapter is about conversion. What does it mean to be a Christian? What do I look for in myself and in others to confirm or affirm the fact that they've actually been converted? And so he comes to the end, last part of verse 9, it says that he recognized how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. I want to read that one more time because this is maybe the first time you've read it this week and I've read it a hundred times. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. I'm just going to stop there because this is your testimony. If you're a lover of Jesus, you have turned to God from idols. You now serve the living God as you wait for his return. And that's, remember the theme of First Thessalonians? The whole theme is living for Jesus while, who knows it? 
waiting for Jesus. It's, it's living with and for Jesus as we wait for his return. And so in this case, for you and for me, if you've been converted, the Spirit of God opened your heart one day so that you turned from idols to God. The Spirit revealed to you the freedom that there is in yielding to God and serving God as opposed to being in bondage to idols. And so we embrace our God that way as we wait for Jesus to one day return. Um, so this really is repentance. You guys are familiar with the whole idea of repentance. Uh, it is turning from idols to God. But as you guys know, repentance is never a one and done, right? I, I trust as Christians, we know that we live a life of repentance, that sometimes it's really intentional where we recognize sin, we recognize idols, we turn from them and we turn towards God's God. Other times it's not so intentional. Other times it happens, but you don't even aware of what God's doing in your heart. But repentance is a lifestyle. It's never one and done. And so we now as Christians continue to turn from idols so that we can serve Jesus as we wait for Jesus. That's the point. And here for these believers, it seems like they've got two things they're being challenged with. And one is the internal idols that battle in their hearts every day. And then according to verse uh, six, there's affliction from the outside. So there's persecution from the outside. And then there's these idols that come up into your heart on the inside. So you, we're at war, just like they were. We're at war with the affliction from the outside, the trials from the outside, and also the war inside of our hearts to turn from idols. And so really all I want to do is I just want to take a few minutes this morning and talk about idols and how idols can function in our lives. This is a multi uh, onion layer peeling time. In other words, I spent all week thinking about this and this morning, even as we were singing, I was just aware of even more idols and more things that have happened in my life. John Calvin said our hearts are an idol factory. I mean, we're creating idols even as we go along. And so this is just like a 15 minute quick snapshot of idols and how they function. And then I will invite you, if you'd like, to come on Wednesday night. We're going to have an equip time where we're going to sit down, we're going to talk about these verses again and get into some of the weeds of what do you do with idols? How do you handle idols? So let's just jump in this, into this right now and talk about just what is an idol. When I think of an idol as I'm reading God's word, I don't know about you, I picture a little stone dude or a little gold dude, right? In, in a, some kind of temple with people bowing down to it. And most of the time that's accurate. But what's tricky about this story, this passage is, we know from the book of Acts that this church that was birthed in four weeks before Paul had to take off was made up mostly of Jews, of Greeks who were converting to Judaism, and it says devout women. So these weren't idol worshipers. These weren't people who were getting down before gold gods. So what does Paul mean then when he says you turn from idols if they really were never bowing down to some kind of little gold dude? Well, to figure that out, I think you've got to read what he says in that sentence, in the context. And then I think it reveals to us what it is they were turning to if, in fact, it wasn't a gold little figurine. So let's, let's look for a moment at what he means in the context of the sentence. So look what he says, verse 9, second half of it, how you turned to God from idols. So first clue there, there's something that we can turn from to serve the living and true God. So I'm going to take what he says about what we do with the true and living God 
and assume they were doing the same thing to idols. Does that make sense? He's correcting. He's taking what they were doing to idols and he's saying, don't do that to idols. Approach God this way. And so he says that we're to serve God. So I assume that means they were serving idols instead of serving God. Idols were something that they were yielding themselves to. That's what the word serve there means. I don't know what you picture when I say the word serving, but basically it was the idea of yielding to God's ways, yielding to his purposes, yielding to his goodness. Well, evidently they were yielding to something else that was being called an idol that was then satisfying them. They were trying to get satisfied by. So they were serving. So these idols are something that could be served. And then in verse nine, he says that we were to serve, that we were to turn from the idols to serve the living and true God. So if he's comparing, contrasting these idols with God, and he says God is living and true, that tells me these idols were dead and false. false. Tracking with me? That's what I'm, that's where I'm going. I'm, I'm trying to get out of the text what these idols are. There's something that they would serve, that they'd yield to, that they believed in, that they moved towards, but they were dead and false. So they're dead and they're false. They're dead in the fact that they have no life in them, no power, no personality. And they're false in that they're not truthful. They would lie and deceive and trick. So we're building a picture here, what it is they were going after. And then finally in verse 10, he says this, and to wait, so we're not only... um, serving the living and true God, but we're waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivered us from the wrath of God. And so I take from that, this idea of waiting for Jesus to be our deliverer from our wrath, and I conclude a few things from experience and from scripture. One is, I am very aware that I am deserving of wrath. I don't know if you ever feel that way. I feel that way every day. Every day, I'm at some moment aware of the fact that I deserve God's wrath because of my failing, because of my shortcomings, because of my sin, because of the things I don't do and the things I do do. Just aware of it. The problem is that while we are waiting for Jesus' return, we often turn to other things called idols to try to cover up the wrath or to kind of dissipate it to somehow turn to something that will make me not feel quite as bad as I feel about myself. Something that will help me to not feel like I deserve the wrath that I know I deserve. So that's, that's what these idols were doing for them. So these aren't little figurines anymore. There's something else they're moving towards to go, I need to feel better about me. And so if I have this, I'll feel better about me. If I do this, I'll feel better about me. And I think that's what's happening with them. They, they believed in Yahweh. They believed in the God of the Old Testament, but they weren't fully turning to him until their conversion. And even after that, continuing to turn to him away from the other stuff that they thought would deliver. You see how that deliverance, he delivers us from the wrath. We often wait for something we're investing in to deliver. Deliver for me. Deliver me from the the wrath I know I deserve. Deliver me from the feelings about myself that I don't like. And so we turn to different things. And so he's addressing that with them. He wants them to be aware of it. I I hope this makes sense. 
It does to me, but it took a while for me to get my brain around what was going on in this passage. I think as humans, I don't know, maybe this is not all of us, but I think it's most of us. We can have voices in our head. Sometimes it's a tape that goes over and over again. You guys know what a tape is? An eight track, VHS, whatever. The tape that plays over and over in your head that beats you up, that condemns you. It makes you feel like you're not worthy of anything. We have that. We, we face that. And sometimes it gets louder and louder and can beat us down. And so humans, including Christians, we, we try to find a way to suppress that, to deal with it, to kill it, to put it to death, to get it out of the way. And often what we do is we turn to something to make us feel better about ourselves. It's an idol. Something to help us cope with our feelings of inadequacy. And so often things then become an idol and we end up serving them. They end up becoming our identity or they end up becoming our worth. And so really anything can become an idol. And often they're not necessarily wicked, sinful things. They're good gifts from God, but we use them to try to increase our worth, our value, or to make up for where we know we're lacking. But often they're, they're good things. They're good gifts from God, but then we treat them as God, right? We give something, I heard Tim Keller say, say something like this this past week. We, we give something a promotion in our souls that it doesn't deserve. We move it up in the rankings because it gives us some kind of worth or satisfaction that we can't find anywhere else. So instead of going to God and enjoying God with these things and enjoying him and seeing him in these things, we use them for our own self benefit. It turns into God for us. Good things become ultimate things. It's something that we functionally often can build our lives around. Basically, it's things that we serve first on our daily schedule to deliver us. It's the first thing we put in our calendar. It's where our money goes first. It's where our hearts go first. And often, I don't realize it's an idol until somebody takes it away. I jokingly have shared this before, but it's not a joke. There are days, there's weeks where Elspeth puts the calendar menu up and the nice I see steak, I'm expecting steak. And there have been nights where I've sinned inwardly and outwardly when steak went to pancake night. For a variety of reasons. Silly, dumb, but there's something in our hearts that can turn anything into an idol, into something that if I don't get it, I'm going to sin. And to get it, I will sin. And that's when things become an idol in our hearts. And so often we can recognize idols because something becomes a higher priority than it should be. Or we realize if I lose this thing, if this thing is taken away, then what is the purpose of life? What's worth living if this goes away? I think COVID revealed a lot of idols in our hearts. When things were taken away and how we dealt with them, we, I think a lot of idols were raised to the surface as we struggled and sinned because things weren't going like we wanted them to go. So often that's how we identify them. Even anxiety in our own hearts, stress, uh, the anxiety that often comes because we believe that something will deliver for us that something's going to help us to deal with our shortcomings, but then it doesn't produce. 
or we're fearful it's going to be taken away because it's something we put our trust in for our value or for our worth. And so it seems here in this story, there's two options. Either we turn to dead and false gods or we turn to the living and true God. Either we look to God to deliver us, Jesus to deliver us from our failures and our sins, feelings of worthlessness, or we turn to some kind of God substitute. And there are God substitutes everywhere. And God substitutes are sort of like sugar substitutes. I don't know if any of you ever try sugar substitutes. Sugar substitutes promise to give you all the joy of sugar with zero calories. Every sugar substitute I have ever had proved to give me zero calories with lots of diarrhea. (laughs) Or at least severe cramping. It lies. It lies to me. Listen, every substitute for God holds out things to you that it was never meant to deliver. It lies. And it leaves you more hopeless in the end. And so, idols are the same way. Doesn't mean they're bad all the time or sinful, but they often create problems in our souls. So, I made a list of potential idols. These are things that we can turn to in hopes that by having them, it will release some of the pain, some of the discomfort, maybe some of the feelings of brokenness or sin or failures or regrets that we deal with. And so I just want to read my list. This is my personal list. There's 42 of them. As I read them, some I'm going to read really quick, others I'm going to camp out for a second. But as I read them, I just would invite you to ask if any of these things have gotten a promotion in your soul in a way that's not healthy. In other words, there are things in your life, what are the things in your life that you're looking to to bring some sense of worth, value, dignity, compensation for your failures that you know is an unhealthy thing? Does that make sense? So I'm going to read them. I want you to pay attention. Where, where do these give you, where are you looking to these things where maybe there's more worth than you think they should have? Uh, these are things we turn to in order to get deliverance from all the things that are negative in our lives. So let's look at a few. Financial security could be an idol. Gives you worth. Entertainment, food, alcohol or drugs could all be an idol. Respect is near the top of my list. I want to be respected. I think at times I think negative thoughts about me and my abilities and my gifts and who I am. And so I look to others to respect me to help compensate for where I think I'm lacking. Maybe you can identify with that. Approval from others can be another category. For some people, it's even chaos. I know this sounds weird, but I know people who cannot live without chaos. They create chaos. Chaos is somehow a way that they cope with all their inadequacies and all the trials and all the ways they don't like themselves. So they create chaos to somehow mask it or cover it up. For some of it's just being heard. I want to be heard. I want my perspective and my opinion to be heard. And if it's not, look out. (laughs) 
you're going to know about it. There's success that can be an idol. Being a perfectionist, which really just means you think that you can be perfect, which you know where that leads, but that can be an idol. Your career can be an idol. Believing I deserve promotions. I should be getting raises. My status should be increased. And as it does, I feel good about me. I'm worth something again. There's comfort and ease. That could be an idol. Controlling everything around you could be an idol. Vacations can be an idol. Coming back from vacation is horrid. The realities of all the things you've got to do to catch up and then get going again. Some people, cleanliness and organization could be an idol. Serving could be an idol. Often, I've been a pastor long enough now to see that there's times where a certain program or something is suddenly not needed in a church anymore, and the people who were so joyfully serving for years suddenly go through the roof because you're taking away their serving. And you realize, okay, something's going on here that's beyond just you serving. Seems like maybe there's an idol that's at work in someone's heart. Being responsible could be an idol. Having obedient children could never be an idol. <laughs> kids' sports can be an idol. Kids' education can be an idol. Kids' friends can be an idol. Sex can be an idol. Your spouse can be an idol. Marriage could just be an idol. You imagine what life would be like, and that can become an idol. So family can be an idol. Our house can be an idol. Your car can be an idol. Your hobby can be an idol. What about fitness, appearance, health, clothing can be idols. Shopping could be an idol. Politics could be an idol. Sports in general could be an idol. I'm shocked at how I can go to the gym, run on a treadmill in front of 10 televisions. ESPN 1, ESPN 2, ESPN Plus, ESPN Extra, ESPN News. I'm like, good grief. This is like, there really has to be this much sports in the world? Yeah, because I think people look to it as a way of somehow coping or escaping from dealing with who they really are or at least how they see themselves. Music could be an idol. Social media could be an idol. Knowledge, education, video games. Do I need to say more? I mean, the list is endless of things that we can turn to thinking this will deliver me from me or at least from my struggle, at least from my trial at least for my situation, maybe only temporarily or maybe for a long time, but I'm going to keep going to it, waiting for it to deliver me. And so here in this passage, God is simply warning us, graciously warning us to turn from idols to serve the living God. You know, the burden of these verses is that you and I would identify an idol, identify the things that we turn to for worth, the things we want to deliver us from whatever it is we want to get out of or escape from in a moment, to see it as an idol that's dead and lying, and then not to wait for it to deliver us, but to turn from it to Christ for him to deliver us from the wrath that we often can feel in our own souls. So, so practically here, there's a uh, a worksheet that we all, I think, need to spend some time just considering this week. And again, we can do this on Wednesday night together. I'd love to join with as many of you as you want to work through this. But I think there are layers and layers of possible ways that we are failing to turn from idols and allowing other things to come into our souls that aren't helpful and won't produce. And I love how this, our scripture memory ends 
Jesus is the resurrected king who's going to return. I love the, the resurrection, the power. He was risen from the dead. So, so what you and I need within us and without us is not more of any of these things on the list I just mentioned. We need to get in touch with the resurrected Christ. And so that's where the application gets really good. I mean, really fun. It's okay. You identify what your idol might be and why you're turning to it. And then we get to go right to Jesus, right to him. What do we know about who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he will do that connects to whatever it is you're craving that makes us love things and want things more than we should. And so I invite you, let let this week be a week in our groups of three, in our community group settings, on Wednesday night, if you're available to come at seven, where we just take some time to consider what in our lives is getting a promotion. What, What holds too much value? What are we looking to, to find worth or escape or to deal with our identity that's just not healthy? so that God can set us free and we can find life. And what I personally have found is that when I identify one idol and I start to figure out what's going on in my heart and then how to repent and turn to God for that, all these other little idols, they start to cry and go away. They can't handle it. So I don't think it's hours of which idol. I say, pick one, pick one. And let's take time this week to identify what they are and how Jesus himself, the resurrected king, who one day will return and ultimately set us free from all the wrath that we deserve because he'll be there to do that. And so let's join together, church. You know, there's every, every week I say we've got to review and apply together, review and apply together. This is a serious review and apply. Elspeth and I were talking this morning. Like this is, I, don't, I don't know that I could do this without help because it's, it's, idols are just weird they're just weird. They lie and they hide and they convince us of things and it's hard to get our hands on them and figure out how to move ahead. And I think we need, maybe on this topic more than others, we just need help processing things that we love more than Christ and that we turn to more than Christ. So encourage you, please, this week, make that a priority in all the settings that God allows you to be a part of. And that's it. Kids, you did a great job. You know, these happy kids. Well done, well done, well done. Can I pray? Let me just pray. Jesus, I thank you for us getting together today and I ask you to help us. God, I know that there are idols in our hearts that we love more than you and that we turn to more than you and they're dead and false. And I just ask you would show us them, help us to turn from them and help us to find life in the living, resurrected Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name, amen.